Well, hey, good morning. How are we doing? Good, good. Some of us are doing okay. That's encouraging. Let's try that again. How are we doing? We doing good? Good. Well, hey, I am uh, so glad to be with you this morning. If you're new here, my name is Cal. I'm the lead pastor here at Harvest. So thankful that you're worshiping with us. And do me a favor. If you have your Bibles open, open them up to 1 Chronicles 4. We're going to be in 1 Chronicles 4. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We have people walking down the aisles right now who'd love to give you a copy of God's Word. If you don't own a Bible, keep it. It is our gift to you. We are in 1 Chronicles 4. And as you can see from the screen above me, we are in the second week of a 10-week series on prayer as a church. And our leadership decided that it is the right time in the life of our church to really hit the pause button and dive deeply into what does it mean to be a people who believe firmly in the power of prayer. We believe that prayer changes our lives, it changes the trajectory of our narratives, and and it is so valuable, and yet oftentimes, I would say many of you would, if I were to ask, hey, who believes prayer is important, hands would go up all over the place, and yet so often we live in prayer lives that are stuck in the mud, and it's not moving, and it's not happening, and so we're getting after 10 passages from the Old Testament where God responds to prayer in powerful ways. And I'm so excited about what we have this morning. I think this is going to be a bucket of cold water onto our heads. It's going to wake us up and make us alive to how important prayer is in our lives. And um, before we jump in, I want to talk with you about a tension that we live in. And I think this is real for everyone in this room. And whether you are old, young, male, female, I think no matter where you're at this morning, I think we all live in this same tension. Here's what it is. We live in the tension that says, I want to matter, and yet life tends to slide towards the mundane. Right? I think all of us would say, man, I want my life to have meaning. I want to matter. I don't think anyone in here is very fired up with the narrative of their life being, I lived a meaningless life and then was forgotten by history. I don't think anyone's like, sign me up for that. That sounds amazing. I'm worried about you if you're pumped for that. But it's like, man, I want to matter. And um, I want to show you the next slide. I want to introduce you to someone. This is a man named Viktor Frankl, and uh, Viktor Frankl is a Jewish psychologist, and uh, during World War II, uh, he was taken with his family to Auschwitz and and was in a concentration camp, and um, much of his family died, and uh, after leaving Auschwitz, he survived till the end of the war, and and he wrote a book, and in the book, kind of his main thesis was that, listen, once you lose hope, and once you lose meaning, once you believe your life doesn't matter anymore, um, you will fall apart and quickly begin to die. And he said that there were men in the concentration camp who were stronger than him, who were in better shape than him physically, who who should have um, thrived and survived longer than Victor, but they died faster because they lost hope and they lost meaning. And they said, this doesn't matter. This is never going to end. This is my future is sealed. And it caused them to die faster than Victor did because Victor always held on to hope. And this is what he held on to in the worst circumstances in human history. He said, I've got to survive this for my children. And and I'm going to lead my children out of this place. This has to matter for them. I can't give up on them. And then the other thing that he held on to, he says, after I get out of Auschwitz, I'm going to write a book that's going to change the world. And he says, because I had purpose and hope and meaning, even in the worst circumstances, I was able to hold on and survive. And here's the truth. We spend most of our lives looking for 
meaning and wanting to matter. That's why sports in high school is so important, right? And, and even popularity. You're like, man, if our, if our team wins a championship, there's going to be eternal meaning and eternal glory in winning this championship. We, we, we just got to win and, and that's going to mean something. Now, we're crazy because here's the truth. Nobody remembers or cares about who won the state championship in the year 2000, right? It's quickly forgotten, but we convince ourselves there's, there's meaning behind this. This is going to matter. It's going to give me significance or, or even popularity. Man, if I'm homecoming king or homecoming queen, that means people look up to me. They respect me. They like me. My life will have value. That's why we love movies. Like how many superhero movies, it's like normal people, something happens to them and they have powers that can change the world, right? Spider-Man's just some nerdy kid who gets bitten by a radioactive spider and then he's, you know, jumping around New York City. It's like, oh man, even normal people can, can, can change the world, can have real value and real meaning. Um, we look for it in our work. We want our work to matter. We want our work to have meaning. We want to impact the world with what we give our lives to. We, we hate the picture of our work being, I just moved one pile of dirt from here to there, and it made no difference. We want meaning in our work. We look for it um, in our wives and in, in our children. I call this the Jerry Maguire principle, right? You complete me. And, and once I find this person, my life will have meaning. My life will have value. It's going to matter. I just got to find that special person. Or man, I'm going to live vicariously through my children. And people are going to look at my children and they're going to be amazing. And they're going to be like, wow, you're amazing because you had amazing parents. And that's going to fulfill and satisfy my life. So we live in this tension of wanting our lives to matter. But in, in the same sentence, it seems that life is always sliding towards the mundane, or maybe another way to put it is life gets boring. And, and um, even like in the job that we love, there are many days where work is hard and work is boring. I was talking with a kid who graduated our high school youth group a few years ago, and now he, um, I just married him uh, this summer, and he went to Colorado. Now he's a youth pastor at a large, growing church. This is like his dream job. This is what he's been praying for. He is serving the Lord in full-time ministry, and I was on the phone with him a couple weeks ago, and I was like, hey, how's the job going? And he's like, you know what, Cal? Work is hard. And I was like, yeah, welcome to being an adult, Right? And even when you love your job and it's what you're called to do, not every day is like perfectly fulfilling. There are some days where it's hard and it's a grind and, and it can feel mundane. Um, our, our work slides to the mundane. Um, even our marriages can slide towards the mundane. And that um, flame of love that was burning so bright early in your relationship, if you're not intentional, it can flame out and it can become routine, and your lives can get busy, and your schedules can get filled, and you neglect the very person you love the most. Right? This is why midlife crises has happened, right? Because, like, you'll turn 40, and you'll be like, oh, man, the first 40 years of my life, I haven't become the person I thought I was going to be. It hasn't been as meaningful as I was hoping, and I don't want the next 40 years to be meaningless as well. And so here's what I'm going to do to fix it. I'm going to bleach my hair and get an earring. Right? That's going to make everything better. Right? And your wife and kids are like, that's making nothing better. It's making everything way more awkward for us. Um, right? I'm just going to get jacked and get tattoos. That's going to, no, it's not, that's not it either. Right? We're looking for meaning. And here's the crazy thing. We always think outside influences are going to fix this problem for us. Like, like, think about all of the technological advances in the last 20 years. And did you know that high schoolers are more bored today than they've ever been? Like, high schoolers literally 
all of their friends are one button click away. They can be in constant communication. They can play games online together. They can talk together constantly. They are always with their friends. Like, do you remember um, growing up, if you're my age, you remember you had to actually know your friend's phone numbers and dial it in on a phone? Like, how lame is that? You actually had to drive to a store to get a movie to rent. Like, it was so much harder to have fun then. But what high schoolers today, the biggest problem is, is I'm bored and it's meaningless. There was a, a grandfather of a high schooler right there, right? Amen. It's true, right? It, honestly, it's one of the biggest challenges for Taylor in our youth ministry is you have kids who have everything and they're bored with everything. Here's the truth. Even our relationship with the Lord can get boring. Do you know that? How many of you remember that moment you gave your life to Christ? How many of you say, I remember that vividly? Come on, raise them up. Do you remember how in that moment nothing else mattered? And it was like, I have the Lord, and this is changing my life, and this is the most important thing. I know my creator, and I've been reconciled to God because of Jesus Christ. And you are so on fire in that moment, or maybe when you've been called by the Lord to do something, or maybe you went to a retreat, and you're like, I felt the Lord so near and dear, and and nothing else mattered. And now three months, or three years, or 30 years later, your relationship with the Lord has become mundane. Like, um, do you remember the last three things you've prayed for? I bet you I do. Was it, will you bless this food to our bodies? Would you give me a good night's sleep? And would you protect my family? Like our prayer life becomes the same and mundane and wrote, and here's the truth, we come into church every week and even that gets routine and mundane and boring. I always tell people the the biggest danger to church is the fact that it's every week. Now, God calls us to gather together and remember him weekly, but even just the fact that you come to the same place and you all sit in the same chairs, it becomes mundane. So here's what this morning's about. This morning is about the idea that there's a path out of the mundane. And a boring, stagnant, stale relationship with Christ is not what you were created for. That's not what God would have for you. And there is a real path out of that. But you need to understand that path begins with prayer. Okay, you need to understand this. Prayer is not an accessory to your Christian life. It is the foundation of your Christian life. The reality is, is the greatest joy in being a Christian is we get to know God. And when we neglect a real, vibrant prayer life, we are stepping away from everything God would have for us, and God wants to bless us and make our lives matter. That's his heart for you. And when you and I don't pray like that, we're forfeiting so much life that God would have. So here's the big idea. It's simple. It said, a life that matters is founded on bold prayer and courageous obedience. You want your life to have meaning. You want your life to matter. It begins with bold prayer and courageous obedience. And this brings us to our passage in 1 Chronicles 4. And the interesting thing is, um, 1 Chronicles 4, it might be the most boring chapter in the whole Bible. All it is 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 a chronology. It's like this dude had this kid, this dude had this kid, this dude had this kid. They're literally just like running down a list of family members, and they're just tracing the line of the people of Israel. Like, it's super boring. You would never, like, choose to read this if you could choose anywhere in the Bible to read. But then the, it changes in First Chronicles 4, 9, and 10. And what this means is, is God's saying, hey, listen, pause here, stop here. This is important. Look at this. The list takes a break. 
and we meet a man named Jabez. And here's what it says in 1 Chronicles 4, 9 and 10. It says that Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. Apparently the dude had a big head or something, but his name means pain. And Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and you would keep me from harm, so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. So in the middle of this list, you meet this man named Jabez, and all we see about Jabez is what he prayed. And he said, God, would you be with me? Would you enlarge my borders? Would, you, would your hand protect me? And it says that God granted what? He asked. And this passage is known as the prayer of Jabez. And in the year 2000, a man named Bruce Wilkinson wrote a book called The Prayer of Jabez. Anyone familiar with that book? Well, back in 2000, that book spread through the church like a wildfire. I think in the first year, it sold 9 million copies. It was number one on the New York Times bestseller. And I think it sold today over 20 million copies. Like it was a wildly successful book. And um, here's um, the idea behind this book is that God wants to answer your bold and expectant prayers. And I want to read you an excerpt from this book. This is what he writes. He says, Pulling a chair up to the yellow counter, I bent over my Bible. And reading the prayer over and over, I searched with all my heart for the future that God had for someone as ordinary as I. And the next morning, I prayed Jabez's prayer word for word. And then the next, and then the next. And then 30 years later, I haven't stopped. And if you ask me what sentence, other than my prayer for salvation, has revolutionized my life and ministry the most, I would tell you that it was the cry of a gimper named Jabez, who is still remembered not for what he did, but for what he prayed and for what happened next. And so the reason this book became so popular is Bruce Wilkinson's arguing, listen, there's a way out of the mundane. But here's a biblical example of a man who prayed a life-changing prayer, and God responded to it, and it changed the course of his life, and we need to be praying like this as well. And people ran with this because it was offering a path out of what is boring and mundane. And um, so I need to, to talk about, there were some controversies that came out of this book, and some people didn't like the book. And here were two controversies that that was brought on from the prayer of Jabez, the book. Um, the first is, is that people took it as a magic lamp, and they're like, all right, if I just recite this incantation, if I just pray this word for word, then God has to answer my prayer. Like, this is a cheat code to get God to do what I want him to do. Now, that wasn't the author's intent, but people took that and ran with it. And so what businessmen were doing, they'd be like, hey, I'm just praying this every day over my business, and God has to bless it. And then there was other guys who are more prosperity gospel who picked up with it well and says, hey, God wants you to be successful and he wants you to be wealthy and he wants you to have power and influence. Look, this is proof of a prosperity gospel. And again, not the author's intent. And we're going to talk about why it wasn't the author's intent and why that's not what is happening in this passage in just a couple minutes. So here's the thing. I would not subscribe to either of these theories, but with the controversy surrounding the book, I think we tossed the baby out with the bathwater, and there are still some valuable and vital lessons that we need to understand about prayer if we're going to walk in what God has for us. So we're going to break this down word for word right now, and we're going to see that there are four ingredients to a life-changing prayer that we need to adopt and have be part of our relationship with God. So look at uh, verse 9 again. It says, Jabez was more honorable than his brother, And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. 
And it says that Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, oh, that you would bless me. All right, and we have the first ingredient right there. Oh, that you would bless me. The first ingredient for a life-changing prayer is asking for God's blessing, or another way to put that is God's favor. Okay, now if you're like me, doesn't that make you a little bit uncomfortable? Like, isn't it selfish to ask for God to bless us? Like, shouldn't we be praying for those in, um, in China right now or um, those who are um, facing, you know, the, the, the typhoon conditions and, and those who have way worse conditions to live in us and have way harder lives? Shouldn't we just be praying for them? Isn't it, like, kind of selfish to, to be praying for me? And um, I think when we understand what Jabez is asking for when he says, bless me, when he's asking for God's favor, we're going to understand it's not selfish at all. In fact, it's the opposite Okay, here's an easy way to understand what God's favor is. It's God's approval. It's his power and his blessing. When Jabez is saying, will you bless me? Will you give me favor? He's saying, I need your approval. And we know as, as followers of Jesus that we have gained approval from God through Jesus Christ. That, that our sin has been perfectly paid for on the cross. That there is nothing that we can do to outrun God's love because Jesus paid our sin if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. We have God's approval but it's also his power and his blessing. In Psalm 90, verse 17, it says this, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So what they're praying is they're saying, God, we need your favor if we're going to do anything that lasts. God, would your favor be upon us? Would you empower us? Would you bless our lives or nothing that we're going to do matters? Do you know that without God's blessing, without God's favor, there is nothing that you're going to give your life to that's going to have lasting value? There's nothing that will matter. And Psalm 127, 1 and 2 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Okay, here's what asking for God's favor is. It's having the humility to say, God, I can't do it myself. And God, I need you. And here's what's convicting for me. How many areas in my life do I not pray for God's blessing because I believe I'm capable and strong enough to handle it? Hey, God, you don't need to bless my family. We're doing great. And we're healthy and we're happy and our kids are thriving. I don't need you to bless that. I've got that under control. Hey, God, my relationship, you don't need to bless it. It's going well. We're getting along. Everything's going smoothly. I'm not going to pray about it. Hey, hey, God, my business, I'm a capable leader. And I'm smart and I'm successful. I can navigate us through the next season. You don't need to bless it. Listen, we don't ask for God's favor because we don't believe we need it. How crazy is that? Jabez was like, God, I need you and I need your blessing or I'm not going to do anything. Okay, here's the next part of the prayer, next ingredient, and this is where this gets really bold. Jabez prays, will you enlarge my borders? He's praying for increased influence. It says, Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, oh, that you would bless me and that you would enlarge my border. So here we see Jabez boldly asking God, would you give me more? And I don't know specifically what that meant for Jabez. Maybe he was a landowner and he says, God, would you give me an increase of land? That this is the equivalent of a businessman praying, God, would you grow my business? Would you make me more successful? Would you expand my influence? This is the equivalence of us as church leadership gathering together and saying, God, would you add people to our church? 
Would you grow our church? We want to see more people coming through these doors. Would you give me greater influence? Would you give me greater platform in business or in ministry or in my neighborhood or in my community or in my family? Whatever that might look like. It's saying, God, I want more. Okay, so we need to pause here. And we need to understand if we're going to be students of God's word, when we read a passage like this, we need to ask ourselves, are there other places in Scripture that talk about this same thing? So we're not just taking one verse and building our entire belief about God from one verse. That would be dangerous. But are there other passages in the Bible that can help shed light on this? And in this instance, there is. And on the screen, I have James 4, 2, and 3. And this is going to help us a lot in understanding how to pray for increased influence. James 4, it says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. And you covet and cannot attain, obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And look at verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So here's what James is teaching. That when we pray for selfish reasons, that God's not going to bless that and honor that and respond to that. So here's what we need to understand. That when we ask for increased influence, look here, you have to get this. Our influence, big or small right now, it's not an end in itself, but it's a means to an end that we might glorify God. Okay, so, so let's talk about me. So say I'm praying, God, would you grow harvest? And I'm saying, God, would you add people to this church? I want to see this church grow. If I'm praying that because it's going to make, puff me up or make me feel better about myself, if the church gets bigger or when I go to conferences or hang out with pastors, it makes me feel good to say my church is this size or this size or this size, that's a selfish motive. I am praying, spending it on my pride and my passions. God's not going to honor that. Okay, but if our heart is God. We live in a broken world and a world who's hurting and people need Jesus. Amen? And we want to ring out our lives and our influence for your glory. We want you, God, to shine as a beacon in the Tri-Cities and in West Michigan. And would you use us in great ways beyond our ability to expand and reach people who need the Lord? Okay, now my heart is aligned with God's heart who wants to see people saved. And my influence, it's not prideful, it's not on my passions, but I'm praying for what the Lord would have for us, and I can have the expectation that God will respond to that. All right, if you're praying for your, your finances or your business, if you're just saying, God, would you increase my business because I want to be more successful, and I want to have more money, and I want to have more fun, and I want to have nicer things, and all of it ends at yourself, you're asking wrongly. You're asking for your passions, but if you're like, God, I want you to increase my influence because I want to build your kingdom. And whether that is helping, um, helping people in our community or whether that is being generous with what you have given me or whether that is simply having more influence over people because I want to be a light to the people who work under me. If you're asking for growth because you desire to grow the kingdom of God, then it's a prayer that God is going to respond to. Maybe your mom and you're like, well, I, I want um, to have greater influence over my kids, and I want to have a closer relationship, and I want my kids to listen to me. Now, listen, if you're just doing that because it makes you feel good that your kids love you a lot, even praying for influence over your kids can be selfish. But if your prayer is, is God, I want my kids to know you, and I want to have a relationship with them so I can point them to you, and even when they get married and are adults and have families, I still want to be an influence on them and their kids so I can point them to Christ, and our family can be a legacy of a family that loves the Lord. 
That's an awesome prayer. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask yourself this question. Who has God given you influence over right now? Maybe you're here and you have great influence. Maybe you own a business and you have 100 employees. Here's the question. How do you view those employees? Are are they people who you pay to work and to grow and to build your kingdom? Or are these people viewed as a gift that God has given you to steward, that you might encourage them, that you might show them Jesus Christ, that you might be a light in your workplace, and, and you might influence them for the Lord? How do you view the people who work under you if you have great influence? And there might be some of you in here where you're like, what are you talking about? I'm in high school. I don't have any influence. And in fact, I'm in band. I'm not even a cool high schooler, right? Like, what do you want from me? It's like, well, you got like the four tuba players you sit with. You can influence them for the Lord. Who do you sit with at lunch? If you work and you're like, hey, I wait tables, right? God is giving you influence over a great number of people every night. You don't know them really well, but you can still be a light for Christ in that setting. Is the influence God has given you, is it a means to an end or is it just an end in yourself? That's going to determine if God is going to respond to your prayer or not. Look at uh, verse 10 again. Jabez says, oh, that you would bless me. Oh, that you would expand my borders. And then look what he says, and that your hand might be with me. And we see the third ingredient for a life-changing prayer right there, and it's that your hand might be with me. He is asking for God's presence. Okay, and this is so key because here's what Jabez understands. Jabez understands that, listen, I don't want your blessing, God, and I don't want my borders to be expanded if you're not with me. And if you're taking notes, write this down because this is so important. We need to hold on to this, that success without the presence of God is not success. Success without the presence of God is not success. And we can spend our whole lives running down and chasing down success. And if it's without the presence of God, it's not going to mean anything. Um, We had a small group last night after church. And if you're not in a small group, I would encourage you, get in a small group. It has been such a good thing for me and Mary. It's a blessing for us every single week. And I want to tell you about a conversation we had. We were actually talking about this verse. And we're like, what does it mean to have the presence of God? And one of the things we started talking about is I think all of us believe that there is this sweet spot out there that we're just about to get to, but we're not quite there yet. And it's like, man, there's going to be this sweet spot. Once I graduate school, then I can do my job. I can do what I want to do. I can have freedom and I don't have to have homework in classes. That's going to be the sweet spot. Or the sweet spot's going to be, man, when I'm married and when I'm married to my best friend, then life's going to be easy. It's going to make sense. I just got to get to being married. That's going to fix everything. Or, or it's like, man, once my kids get into school, that's going to be the sweet spot. I'm pulling my hair out with all these little ones. Let's get them into school. I'll be able to breathe again. Or I'll be able to work and kind of do what I want to do. Or man, if our church becomes this size, that's going to be the sweet spot. Or if our business grows to this size, if we have this many locations, that's going to be the sweet spot. Can I tell you the truth? You know the sweet spot is, is an elusive thing? Can I tell you what the sweet spot really is? It's experiencing the presence of God. And there is no stage of life or work or ministry that is going to solve your problems. The sweet spot is walking and knowing and having an intimate relationship with the Lord. That is the sweet spot. Okay, Moses understood this. 
In Exodus 33, Moses is on Mount Sinai and he's meeting with God. And while he's meeting with God, the people of Israel, they're rebelling and they're worshiping idols and, and, and they're making sacrifices and they're acting very wickedly. And, and God is angry and he says, you know what, Moses, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send two angels into the promised land and I'm going to kill all of your enemies and I'm going to send you to the promised land. You can have the land, but I'm not going with you. I am tired of being your God. And here's what Moses says. Moses responded by saying, he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight and I your people? Is it not with you going up with us so that we are distinct and I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? Okay, you need to understand what God was offering Moses was a life of success. You're going to have the promised land. You won't even have to fight. You're going to be king. You're going to be rich. Life will go well, but you don't get me. And Moses said, if it's a choice between the promised land without you or living in the desert where you are, I choose the desert. See, he understood that success without the presence of God is not success. So let me be very, very clear right now. If you are chasing success in life in a way that is causing you to run from the presence of God, you are not a success, you're a failure. And in fact, you're worse than that. You're a delusional failure because you believe you're a success. If your chasing after success is causing you to neglect a real, humble, vibrant relationship with God, if it's causing you to neglect your family or the people God has placed under your care, I don't care how much money you make, I don't care how many awards you get, I don't care how many state championships you win, I don't care what it is. If your chasing after success is causing you to neglect the Lord, you're not a success, you're a failure. Success without God's presence is not success. Jabez understood this. He goes, God, I want you to increase my borders, but you better be coming with me. I need you. I need your presence. Then here um, is the fourth ingredient. It's this, that you would keep me from harm. It's a prayer for protection. He, he prays, oh, that you would bless me, that you would expand my borders, that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. Now look back at verse 9, because this is really important. We can't miss this. This is a really powerful nuance in this text. It says that Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. So Jabez's name meant pain. And if you know how biblical names worked, that names were often more than just names. A lot of times they were prophecies over how your life would go. Okay, a really cool example of this in the Bible is Abraham's wife, Sarai. Okay, did you know what uh, Sarai, S-A-R-A-I means? It means to be contentious. And if you know anything about Sarai, Abraham's wife, she was a contentious woman. When, when she couldn't get pregnant, she told Abraham, hey, Abraham, we need to go have a child with my servant Hagar so our family line can continue. And then once Hagar got pregnant and had the baby, she was so mean and vicious and angry at Hagar that she would fight and fight and fight with her. And it got so bad that Hagar and her child had to flee for their life. She was a mean, nasty, contentious woman. And she was so contentious that even when angels came to her, and she was old in her 90s, and the angel said, you're going to bear a son, God's going to keep his promise, she laughed at the angels. She's like, who do you think you are? What do you think you know? You're going to tell me what's going to happen? She was contentious. She was tough. She's probably Italian. Um, 
I don't, I don't know where, it's the 11 o'clock, I don't know where that came from, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but here's what the amazing thing is. God did something. God changed her name to Sarah. You know what Sarah means? Sarah means princess. Sarah means you're a daughter of the king. And, and God said, listen, this is not going to be your narrative, but I'm going to take a woman who was a contentious, who was an enemy of God, and I'm going to make her family. And she is my princess, she is a daughter of the king, and she is going to be the queen of my people. And so there's a beautiful picture of the gospel just in the name change from Sarai to Sarah of how God takes people who are contentious and enemies and far from God, and he brings us into his family. This is our story, that we were enemies of God, that God has made us his own people. Jabez meant pain. Now, now, if I could be honest with you, I hate the idea of prophetic names. I don't like anything about it. You want to know why? You know what my name means? My name means bald, okay? <laughs> right? Thanks, mom and dad. Yeah, Calvin means the bald one, all right? That's what they decided to name me. So I have been pushing against the promises of God for my life for 32 years. I want nothing to do with that prophetic name. But in some ways, wouldn't prophetic names make all of our lives much easier? Like, imagine how much easier children's ministry would be if you were volunteering down there and a new mom brought in her kids and said, hey, here are my two boys, liar and lazy. Have fun with them, right? You're like, all right, I know exactly what to look out for, right? Okay, Jabez's name meant pain. And look what Jabez prays for. This is so important. He said, would you keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain? Okay, here's what Jabez understood. He understood that he had certain weaknesses and proclivities that would lead him towards pain. And he says, my name even means pain, and this is the way my life should go. Would you protect me from where I'm naturally headed? Okay, and here's what blew my mind in studying this passage this week. When we pray for protection, we always pray against outside influences, right? Hey, God, would you uh, keep my kids safe as they go to school? I don't want there to be a, a school shooting. Hey, 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 God, would you keep me safe? I don't want this plane to go down that I'm in. Hey, God, would you keep me safe as I'm traveling? I don't want to slip on ice or I don't want to be hit by a drunk driver. Or even we'll say, hey, God, will you protect me from the enemy and from Satan, from demonic forces in this world? We're always praying against outside influences. When's the last time you've had humility to ask God for protection from yourself? Because here's the truth. We all have sin bends and proclivities that would derail our lives and walks with the Lord. Right? Maybe your sin bend, maybe where you naturally go is you get really passive. And you're like, hey, God, listen, I know and I understand that I tend to get lazy and I tend to neglect what you would call me to. Would you protect me from that? Would you guard me against my own proclivity to be lazy and passive? Or maybe you're here and you know this about yourself, is that relationships define who you are. And God, I know that like I tend to, to be really, really good when people like me and when relationships go bad, I'm miserable and I tend to put my entire identity in what others think about me, not what you have said about me. Would you protect me? Would you protect me from my own pride and wanting just to be loved by others more than anything else? Maybe it is sexual sin or lust. God, would you protect my eyes? 
Would you guard my heart from running down a lane that is just going to wreak havoc upon my life? Maybe you lack forgiveness. Maybe your tendency is that you're bitter. And when someone hurts you, you can't let it go. And you stew over it and it makes things worse. God, God, would you protect me from my bitterness? I know that that's in my heart. I know that's where I tend to live. And God, you need to break these chains or I'm going to continue to crush every relationship around me. When is the last time you've known yourself well enough and had the humility, God, protect me from me? Would you bless me? Would you expand my borders? Would your presence go with me? And would you keep me from harm? These are the four ingredients of a life-changing prayer. And here's the amazing thing. We never hear about Jabez again. But what we do know is that God heard his prayer and he answered it. And I don't know what that looks like, but here's what I do know. There is something in the character and nature of God that he wants to answer our prayer when our heart is aligned with his and we come to him with bold prayers. And church, we need to be a people who is willing to pray bold prayers. Okay, but there's one final ingredient we need to talk about, and it's this. If we're going to be a people who pray these prayers, we also need to be a people who walk with courageous obedience. And if you have your Bibles open, I I would ask you to keep your finger in 1 Chronicles 4. We're going to come back here in a second. But I want you to turn to Joshua 1. And uh, in Joshua 1, Moses had just died. The people are still in the wilderness. They're waiting to go in the promised land. And, And God is about to select Joshua to be the leader of the people. And they're about to go into the promised land. But in Joshua 1, God gives this very, very important um, encouragement to Joshua that you need to see. Joshua 1, starting at verse 1. It's up on the screen too if you want to see it. Follow along as I read. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land that I am giving to them and to the people of Israel. Look at verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all of the land of the Hittites to the great sea, towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you, and I will not leave you nor forsake you. Okay, here's what's crazy about the first five verses. If you line that up with the prayer of Jabez, all four things that Jabez prayed for, God just promised to Joshua. I'm going to bless you. You're going to inherit the promised land. There is no one who's going to be able to stand against you. I'm going to keep you from harm, and I'm going to be with you just like I was with Moses. It is everything that Jabez prayed for. Keep looking for six. We have to get this. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according all to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. So you're saying, listen, God, I'm giving you everything, God says to Joshua. But you need to be strong and courageous right now. I'm promising you this land, but listen, Joshua still had to step foot in the Jordan River and cross it. He had to take hold the promises of God. And here's what I'm trying to say. We can't presume that God is going to answer our bold prayers if we're not living lives of strong and courageous obedience today. Okay, here's what this looks like. I'll meet with um, young people in their 20s, and I love doing that, and and I'll have this conversation a lot. Someone will come to me like, "Hey, hey, Cal, God's given me a vision for my life. 
and I'm going to start this business, or I'm going to start this ministry, and thousands of people are going to come to know the Lord through my church. That's what I want. That's my vision for my life. Where do I start? God, I've got these dreams for my life. I want God to do big things through me, but where do I begin? You know what I say? Start with your roommate. Right? You're living with someone right now who may or may not know the Lord, and um, why don't you be a light for Christ to them? This is who God has given you influence over today. Be faithful, be strong, and courageous for that, in, in that. Hey, you got a small group? Start there. Pour into their lives, love them, serve them, be courageous with them today. Right? If you're in business and you're like, man, I've got this dream for my business that we're going to grow and we're going to make a ton of money, and then I'm going to start these charitable foundations and we're going to really impact the community for Christ through, through my business, um, can I just tell you that generosity doesn't begin once you've made it, but, but generosity is a lifestyle, and, and I would ask you, are you being generous with the finances and influence God has given you today? Because if you're not faithful with a little, you're not going to be faithful with much, what courageous obedience is the Lord calling you to in this moment? And I need to close with this. Go back to 1 Chronicles 4.9. And this is kind of where we're heading to as we wrap up. 1 Chronicles 4.9 says that Jabez, listen to this, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. Okay, so you need to understand this, that before Jabez ever asked God for more, there was already a commitment to walk with the Lord. It said that there was a family of people, and Jabez stood out because he was the most honorable. And we need to understand, if we're going to pray for bold prayers, if we're going to pray that God would take us out of the mundane, there's a prayer we need to pray before the prayer, and that's this. We need to be surrendered to the Lord. We need to pray a prayer of surrender and humility. Before Jabez ever asked God for more, he was already sold out for the Lord. It was about his glory. He was walking in an honorable way. All right, look here. There are people who walked through the doors today, and you couldn't engage in worship, and you're like, I'm just going to go to church again, I'm going to sit and listen to another sermon again, then I'm going to leave, then I'm going to watch Sunday you know, afternoon football, and it's the same rote, routine, boring life. And if you want out of that, if you want freedom from that, if you believe that God has power to change that, it begins with surrender. There are some of us in here who before we do anything, we need to surrender our hearts to the Lord. And the truth is, is we've been distracted or we've, our eyes have been on other things. Listen, don't put anything away right now. Hang with me in this moment. Right now, we need to have a gut check. We need to have a gut punch, maybe, because here's why. I want us to be a church that prays bold things. I want God to expand our borders. I want him to do that for our church, and I want him to do it in your lives. And I want us to be people who have faith that believes firmly in the power of prayer. I want us to be a shining light of hope in our community, but that's only going to happen when we have surrendered our hearts to the Lord. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have the lights go down right now. And um, we need to take a moment to really sit in a spot and, and wrestle with, have we surrendered our hearts to the Lord? 
Where are you at right now? Would you be courageous enough to even ask yourself that question? Can you honestly say, God, you have my whole heart? Because I think there's some of us, if we were honest, if we looked back at our week, it was all about us. And we are so fickle, and we are like sheep, and we tend to wander and stray. And so if we're going to be a people who pray bold prayers, we need to be a surrendered people. So if you have come to our church for any length of time, you know that we usually close our services with, I will pray for us, and then we have a song of response in worship. We're going to do something different, and that we're going to leave some space right now to respond to the Lord. So I'm going to have Ryan and Carrie sing a song of prayer over us. I'm not going to close. I'm going to have Ryan and Carrie do it for us. And here's what I want. I want us to respond to the Lord in a genuine way. I want us to take a step of courageous obedience and be honest and humble with the Lord. And for some of us, you know what that means? I'm going to be honest. You need to come up front. And we've got space up here. And you need to kneel at the altar as an act of physical submission to the Lord. The Lord's pressing that on your heart right now. You need to come and do this because your heart hasn't surrendered. And God loves it when our physical actions match where our heart is. And if you're physically able, you might need to come down and kneel. Or if you're physically able, you might need to kneel in your seat right now and just get low before the Lord. Some of you need to just sit and lift your hands up and say, God, there's been some things that I've been holding on to really tightly, but my life is yours and these things are yours and I'm surrendered to you. I'm not concerned with what you do or how you do it. I'm concerned that you do something because God is here and he's present. And right now we have a choice to make. We don't get to leave here unmoved. We're either going to make a move towards the Lord in surrendering our hearts to him, or we're going to go another week saying, it doesn't matter, I'm not going to move, I'm going to dig my heels in. May we not be a people who become hard-hearted.